How is it that a once dirty Christian can fade into deconstructing their faith in Jesus? This is a question that I am asked regularly. It says in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. The Holy Spirit gave Paul a prophetic prediction that in the end times people will fade into 18 primary symptoms of denying the power of the indwelling life of Christ. The closer we approach the tribulation of Satan, the more intense the temptation to delude into lukewarmness. Looking at our list, lovers of self, I believe all ungodliness falls under this prediction. In the end times, people will default to selfishness. Lovers of money, the insecurities surrounding money will drive self-proclaimed Christians to consider money first before sacrificial giving. Boastful, as believers are fronted with air, pride will override their willingness to be taught absolute truth. Arrogant, arrogant is a confession of the heart, revealing their soul is unreachable by leaders of the word. Revilers, people who slander God through evil speaking. Disobedient to parents, the traditional and biblical mandate of honoring your parents will fade into self-life being the parent. Ungrateful, when people stop being grateful for gifts, be on the alert that a slow fade is in the process. Unholy, Christians will excuse their sinful habits as an act of holiness. Unloving, while each will claim they will love you, their definition of love includes betrayal and backstabbing. Irreconcilable, after the authentic Christian attempts to reconcile, the fake Christian will say one thing with their mouth and another with their betrayal. Malicious. Many end times Christians will rise to accuse their brothers and sisters in Christ falsely. Gossips. Instead of loyalty, they will talk behind your back. Without self-control, 
each will be powerless to control the behavior. Brutal. These fake Christians will use the scriptures to hurt others with their untamed tongue. Haters. Anytime they hear the importance of unconditional love, they will be quick to come back with a distasteful word or two. Treacherous. In Greek, it translates as traitor and betrayer. Reckless. People who are clueless as to releasing the ways and mind of Jesus Christ from within. They are rash in their thinking. Conceited. Each will be vain, self-bloated, and foolish. Lovers of pleasure. The top priority is pleasure first, serving second. Decisions are based on taking care of themselves as a priority. Forms of godliness. While they claim Christ, their behavior will not match the authentic definition of pure godliness. Denying the power of Christ. You will not see the power of Christ's life in their lives. They struggle with dreams, visions, and miracles of God and outward signs of manifestations of the Holy Spirit. They live by the words of Christ versus His power. These are the manifestations of the flesh that we are called to watch for in the end times. Within so-called believers who claim Jesus but deny His power of indwelling living. As a result, our Lord frequently throws these types of believers into the lion's den of sorts to experience the power of Christ from within. However, many thrown in simply become lunch for the lions. On the other hand, some resurrect from the den with a renewed trust in the power of God. We call it separating the goats from the sheep. Welcome to number 17, Daniel Resurrects from the Den. Daniel was honored by God to be the Old Testament figure to demonstrate the coming tomb experience of Jesus Christ. As in the case of Jesus, when the stone was rolled away from the entrance of the lion's den, the king witnessed something beyond human expectations. Daniel was sitting peacefully when the king searched to see the results of Daniel's God. It was a miracle that outranked the miracle of the fiery furnace. It was a miracle that illustrated another tomb experience that would provide salvation to the world. While the ages to come made use of this story in a lighthearted way, this event was most likely the greatest of all Old Testament miracles. God's prophet was innocent. He had not sinned against either God or the king. He was under the mighty protective hand of God, and the enemy could not touch him. Daniel was indeed the Christ image of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection from the tomb of Satan. How glorious is that? Let's review our scriptures. Again, remember to study the full chapter of 6. Today we'll focus on the verses 19 through 22. 
It says this, Then the king arose at dawn, at the break of day, and went in haste to the lion's den. When he had come near the den to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, inasmuch as I was found innocent before him, and also toward you, O king, I have committed no crime. Let's look at the king is restless. After the king returned to his palace, he became restless, saddened, and anxious about being trapped by his advisors and the fact that he had kept the law signed by his own hand. He could not eat, sleep, or be humored by entertainment. He was brought to the core of regret. This was the king's personal experience of his own lion's den. At this point in our story, we have two men facing the same lesson of faith. Darius the king, trusting in the God of the Hebrew to save his friend. And Daniel trusting in his God to deliver him from the mouths of the lions, if it be God's will. However, in the case of Daniel, he was being persecuted for righteousness' sake. Daniel was going about his walk with God, minding the king's business and doing what he does best, delivering the messages of God. Meanwhile, the ruthless advisors of Darius were plotting to remove God's righteousness from Darius's kingdom. Why? To advance self-love. Yes, these men were lovers of self, willing to deceive, lie, and plot against their king to advance their agenda. As we learn in our passage, it all backfired on them like a hailstorm from hell. Looking at, the king runs to the tomb of the lions. Kings don't carry out their own orders. They send their officers to do such messy stuff. This was not the case with Darius. He didn't send an officer to see if Daniel was dead or alive. This dignified king hastened to the lion's den to check Daniel's status personally. With this in mind, before he arrives at the den, he cries out to his friend, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Without hesitation, Daniel shouts out the familiar words the king was accustomed to hearing. O oh, king, live forever. Can you imagine the relief the king must have felt? This is a great confession in this portion of our story. King Darius actually confessed that he believed in Daniel's God indeed does exist. Secondly, he bears testimony of Daniel's consistent faith and obedience to God. 
Finally, there's a confession of Darius's trust and friendship with Daniel. What the two of these men had is rare in the world of a leader and a trusted friend and follower. I have been in ministry for over 40 years. Within those years, I can count on one hand the number of loyal and faithful friends or workers that remained at my side. In fact, that would be the experience of most leaders. Darius knew that it was lonely at the top. When push came to shove, Darius knew that Daniel was the most intimate and faithful friend. Their relationship was beyond king and advisor. It evolved into what all leaders crave, a faithful friendship that would remain through betrayal, deception, and persecution. Reviewing the Angel of Salvation, we are not told the moment the angel of God arrives to save Daniel. However, we know that the lions have not been fed for seven days. They were starving. Likely, the angel was there before Daniel arrived in the den. Furthermore, as to the if Daniel was honored with the experience of seeing the angel, well, it doesn't matter. The fact that Daniel was delivered from the mouths of the lions is enough. Daniel's deliverance was based on his innocence. God shut the mouths of the lions, blocked any harm, because God found him innocent of any crime against the earthly king or the king of kings. We tend to make light of the angels that are about us, all chosen workers of the kingdom of God have angels assigned to each. Do we see them? Not usually. The reality that God functions within the realm of angels are a normal part of protecting his beloved children from harm. This is most likely what Daniel experienced. Since we know that, from the moment Daniel entered the den, to the hour Darius ordered the removal of the stone that sealed the lion's tomb, the hours he spent in the den were filled with thanksgiving and praise unto his God. Now looking at Daniel delivered from the tomb, as in the case of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was delivered from the fiery furnace without a single hair on their heads scorched, so was Daniel delivered from the lion's den. While humanity tends to focus on Daniel and his faith, honestly, it wasn't about Daniel. God was interested in protecting Daniel because God simply was not finished using him. Without question, God loves his workers. God enjoys the testimonies that come forth in possible circumstances. But the bottom line is God is always about fulfilling his prophecies. As we will learn from the following chapters, the lion's den experience was simply to preserve Daniel for more spoken prophecies. Looking at the king's proclamation, Darius was overjoyed. He was well pleased with the God of Daniel. He immediately ordered the officers to remove the stone blocking the entrance. 
Daniel came forth from the den like Jesus walking out of his tomb. What happens next is expected, but still the same, horrid. The king gave orders to bring the men forward who accused Daniel falsely and their families. They were all cast into the lion's den within a brisk order. Before any of them reached the bottom of the pit, the lions devoured their flesh and bones. Many asked the question as to why the king called forth their families to suffer death when it was the men who maliciously deceived the king. While we should keep this doctrine in place today, back then leaders knew that the sins of the fathers were involuntarily passed on to the children. To guard against the probability of this happening again, all connected to this offense had to die. While the lions were feasting on their breakfast, the king pronounced a miraculous proclamation. He declares to all the people, nations and men of every language, these words. I make a decree that in all of the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and endures forever. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. And his dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. With those words, Daniel was granted his first respite. In conclusion, I hope we all realize how significant this proclamation is. Darius ordered the entire Persian kingdom to honor the God of the Hebrew people, an event that will occur once again after the Antichrist is all used up. As for Daniel, this single event provided honor and respect for Daniel during the reign of Darius and Cyrus until the end of the Persian Empire. It's about time Daniel gets a little respite from the demise and ruthless demonic advisors. Always remember the miracles which the Lord performs in the interest of his children are intended to serve, among other things, for the believers so that they also may realize that the God of Israel, the God of the grafted indwelt Christians, is the true living God, the only Savior and Redeemer. Coming up next, number 18, Daniel's vision of the four beasts. It's Daniel's turn to dream dreams. It all starts with the vision of four beasts which are played out in Revelation's book. Now in a time of respite, Daniel focuses on his writing. However, before such writing can occur, a few dreams and visions must be revealed. Daniel's visions began with four great beasts, monster-sized beings that came up from the sea World powers rising out of the great sea, agitated by the four winds of the earth, who 
represent the four political forces of the Earth's governing world, each different from another, one after the other, igniting the last days. Think about it. God gives Daniel a picture of global events that have not yet been unfolded completely in humanity's timeline. It is nothing short of amazing why present-day believers fall short of understanding the importance of prophecies is beyond me. In the next few episodes, we will uncover the connection between the book of Daniel and that of Revelation's book. Thank you for joining us today. We always consider it a privilege for you to do so. As we move forward in our episodes, we will begin to tie together some of the most profound prophetic prophecies that are directly connected to the last book written in the New Testament, and that is the book of Revelation. Until next time, 